successes during this series, and and uh, you know I'm always reminded as I go th- as I go through life of what success is not. Uh, yesterday, my family and I we went to visit some friends of ours in Austin, and they have a ski boat. So you know I used to ski all the time. My, my parents had a boat. We lived on the water. I used to ski all the time. So I have this idea that I say, yeah, you know I'm just. I'll, I'll slalom ski, you know, I'll do that, that's not a big deal, I mean, I hadn't done it for 20 years, but, you know, it's not a big deal, you know, and, uh, man, I forgot how hard that was, holy smokes, especially when you're getting old, and muscles you used to have have disappeared, and, and, oh my gosh, I, I got, I almost got up, and then, oh, my hamstring, and I'm like, oh, dear Jesus, and then my elbow, I couldn't close the door when we were leaving today, I told Tracy, I'm like, I'm gonna have to re- evaluate my life. I don't think God cares if I ski or not, you know? I don't think God cares, you know? And I cared yesterday, but I just don't care anymore. And so we're talking about what does it mean to be successful in life? And let me ask you a question. How many of you, as you get to the end of your life, you would like for people around you, and most importantly, when you stand before Jesus, you would like for him to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Most people would do that. Most people want to be uh, successful. And what we've learned is success is really not what you achieve. Success is not a position, a financial position, a career position. It's not a place of power and authority. Success is, 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 is uh, earned by the way that we live. And all of the men and women in the Bible who we would say were highly successful, all the people in your life, who you say, man, they were successful as parents. They were successful as a husband and a wife. They were successful in the important things of life. What you notice is they just live different from other people. Successful people, they live different. Their their values, their morals, their commitment levels, their loyalties set them apart. They live different from the cultural trends of of our society and the society that they lived in. And uh, we, we, we're using the life of Joseph, one of my favorite Bible characters, Genesis chapter 37 through 50. And what we learn is that besides Jesus, perhaps Joseph, you could make a strong argument that Joseph was, was the most successful person that ever lived from birth to death. He, he had integrity, he had honesty, he did the right things. He never had any major train wrecks in his life. Now, I'm not going to ask you, how many of y'all have had train wrecks in your life? But you know, the good news is, when we have a train wreck, God, can, God is bigger than our train wreck, and he gives us second chances. But how many of you know, every time I teach, you know, sometimes the teenagers and college students, they, they you know, may not think I'm talking to them, but uh, honestly, the, the younger you are when you start living a principal center life, the less regrets that you have. And, and today, we're going to talk about Uh, a very important principle, and it's the principle of identity. To be successful, you have to know who you are. You have to know who you're trying to please and who you belong to. Okay, that's the most important thing. So uh, let let me talk about this for a minute. Because success is not that you accomplish a task that no one else could. Success is being faithful to your identity. It's discovering what your identity is and being faithful to it. Let me, I'll give you a story. So way, way back, many, many years ago, 17, 18 years ago, we started family life. We started this church in our home, and we had like, 
I don't know, seven or eight people. And I remember when we were starting, starting this church, and, and I had always been a high achiever. I'd always been able to do pretty much whatever I wanted to do. And, but when you're starting a spiritual endeavor, you lose control. You know, you can't make people show up. I mean, I'm thankful you did. I, how many you know that I can't, I can't, well, I could call you on Saturday night and say, oh, we just really need you here tomorrow. We really need, and that would work once or twice, then you just quit coming. Because no one wants to be, no one wants to be manipulated. And I, I had an identity crisis in my life as we started this church because when all my past friends would call me, they'd always ask, how many people do you have coming to church? Well, I mean, I, what do you say? Well, we had 12 last week, but a couple of them didn't look like they enjoyed it, so it may be nine this week. I mean, three fell asleep, one got up and went to the restroom five times, so they obviously they weren't, you know, anyway, either there's a physical problem or they just weren't liking it. So you're trying to think of this, and a pastor friend of mine, my mentor, he said, Terry, you become, God asked you to start the church. Just start the church. If you start the church and it endures, it doesn't matter if you have 50 people, 75 people, 300, 1,000, that, the results don't matter. What matters is that you do what God asks you to do, and you do it with everything you have. That's what success is. Success is if you have kids, you become the best parent that you can ever be. If you're married, that you're faithful and loyal to your spouse. If you're a Christian, it means acting like you're a Christian. It means reading your Bible, praying, and doing the things that you're supposed to do when you don't feel like. One of those is perhaps coming to church. One of them is joining a Bible study, successful people, they know who they are, and it drives their life. See, some of you are a different person every week. Okay, just think on that a little bit. We'll, we'll get back to it. Just shake your head like, yeah, Terry, you're right. These people next to me are very, very confused. But seriously, I'm, I'm, think about this. Some of you are having a hard time making a decision because you're confused on what is important. Your identity tells you what is important in life. So let's look at this. If you don't know who you are, other people will consistently, all the time, try to mold you into what they want you to become. Okay, at work, you know, at work, at home, whatever. If you don't know who you are, people will constantly manipulate you and pressure you into doing what you really don't want to do. See, if you know who you are, and you know what you're supposed to do, you know, you really cannot be manipulated. Because you have, you have a list of things that are important to you. Principles that drive your life, that's outside of the principle, it's outside of the, the realm that I live in, I don't do that. And, uh, but if you don't know who you are, here's a kicker, if you don't know who you are, if your identity is not secure, uh, if you don't have that fastened in your life, you will always be insecure, and insecurity always produces turmoil in your life. If you're having turmoil in your life, it's because you don't know who you are, and, and until you know who you are, you will never have the security in your life that you really want to have. So once you discover your identity, who you are, it brings security and stability into your life, and it will allow you to become successful. Let's look... Let's look at a verse from the life of Jesus real quick. John chapter 8 and verse 12. It says this, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
So this, these I am statements in the Gospels about Jesus, when he said I am, uh, there's 18 I am confessions, direct statements uh, in the Bible uh, that Jesus uses. And he uses this phrase to describe who he was, what his identity was. And uh, if you can't say, I am, you know, you may say, well, I am a father, I am a mother, I am, yeah, but, but, but that's, that's one of your roles. What are you, who are you? Who are you? And Jesus said this. Here's some of them. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever comes to me will live. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door for the sheep. And in John chapter 4, when he's talking to the woman at the well, he says, he says I am the Messiah. I am he. I am the Messiah. And so Jesus knew exactly who he was, and that allowed him to live a successful life and to accomplish his mission here on earth. So, you know, today there are millions of people traveling through life with an identity crisis. Uh, the loss of identity has become an, an epidemic in America. And if you cannot answer the simple question, who am I? You're destined for a life that's filled really uh, with, with mediocrity. You will never reach your potential until you really know who you are and what you want to do. So as we read the life of Joseph, one principle that really stands out to me, of course, is the principle of identity. Joseph understood who he was, who he belonged to, and this principle guided his life. So let's go through the life of Joseph for a moment and show you, uh, look at, at his, his identity. In uh, Genesis 39, verse 6 through 10, it says this, So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. And now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in his house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you. Now I want you to understand some, something right here this morning. God blesses us with many things, but there are some things in our lives that are off limits. There are some things that they're not our business. I talk, I talk to you all the time who are mad about something, and they're mad about someone says something, that's not even in your business. None of your business. You know, there are some things in our lives, if we walk with God, that are off limits. And Joseph understood this. And uh, he said this, My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And, uh, all, and though she spoke to, to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. And look at this or even to be with her. He didn't even want to be with her. And of course, the one day later when she accused him of sexual assault, she had cleared out the house because she knew when Joseph would be there, and she kind of set an ambush for him. But he did everything he could. Like, here's the line of morality, and so many people want to walk right up to that line. You walk up that line, you're getting in trouble. Joseph's like, I'm staying back here. And so look at this. Notice that Joseph went, he went directly to his relationship with God, when he said this, how could I do this wicked thing and sin against God? Well, you say, well, hold on. 
It was Pharaoh's wife. It was Pharaoh's wife. Why didn't he say, how can I do this thing and sin against my master, my owner, Pharaoh? Because Joseph's identity was not in being a slave. His identity was being, in a, child, being a child of God. So, how, so if he would have done that, would it have been a sin against Potiphar? Absolutely, it would have been. But the first sin was against God. I wonder how our lives would be different if we started looking, looking at things like, how could I do this wicked thing and sin against God instead of sinning, saying, sinning against my boss, my kids, my wife, my friends, the church? How, how would it be different if we realized that our identity is as a child of God? So if I do something, if I do something contrary to God's word, I'm not sinning against people. I'm sinning directly against God. And so Joseph, Joseph, he, under, he understood this. And uh, we see that, that his relationship with God was his identity. And uh, in Genesis chapter 40, verse 6 through 8, let's look at this. It says, when Joseph came to them, this is the cupbearer and the baker, who were in prison with him, the next morning he saw that they were dejected, so he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? We have both had dreams, they answered. But there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. And again, Joseph realized another form of his identity is that Joseph realized that all of the gifts and abilities and skills that he had in his life that had the ability to make him successful, they all came from God. They all came from God. How would our careers be different? If instead of going to work saying, we're going to solve this problem, we're going to solve this solution, if we said, God, all of my skills and abilities come from you. All of my reasoning abilities come from you. Give me a revelation so I can solve this problem. How many of you have ever said, when your boss gives you a compliment, says, man, you did a good job. How many of you have ever said, thank you, but I have to, I have to defer to God. He's the one that gave me the ability to reason. Well, my my boss doesn't like God. You know, well, neither did Pharaoh or Potiphar or all these other people we're talking about here. I'm, I'm just giving you something to think about. But, but what, 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 did he, what did he say? He's like, I can't accomplish this task, but I'm dependent upon God, and, and God has the ability, so he will help you. In, in Genesis chapter 41, verse 15 through 16, it's another dream interpretation, this time to Pharaoh. Uh, so he's ushered into Pharaoh's presence. It says, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Now, I want you to think about this. Sometimes we read the Bible, we don't think about things. This is a turning point in the relationship between Pharaoh and Joseph. The Egyptians were polytheistic. They worshipped everything. They had sun gods, fertility gods, everything. And so before Pharaoh called Joseph in, the reason he's calling Joseph in is because he's tried all of his magicians. He tried every different one that worshipped every different god and the priests of different gods, and none of them can do it. So Pharaoh is saying, I need to call a god that I haven't summoned yet. And he knew that Joseph and the Israelites were monotheistic, that they worshiped Yahweh, they worshiped one God. So when Joseph comes into him, 
he already knows, I'm coming in because your gods, with a small g, your, your, all of the gods that you worship, all of your idolatry, cannot answer the solution, cannot give you an answer to the dream, so you're calling me in. And what I'm telling you is this, that I cannot do it, but the God I serve is above all the gods you serve. He's above even you, Pharaoh, and he can, he can do anything that he, that he wants and desires. So it's, it's very, very important that we understand that. And uh, if, if you think about it, let's go on to, to Genesis 41, verse 44 through 45, and let's, let's keep reading on it. It says, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word no one will lift hand or foot in all of Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name uh, Zephineth Peneah and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, to be his wife. So let, let, let's, let's look at this for a minute. Pharaoh gives Joseph a wife, Asenath, who her father is the priest of On, which is a deity, a god that they, that they worship. And again, this is a very important passage because Pharaoh is trying to change the identity of Joseph. You're not getting an Israelite wife. You're getting a Seneth, who she's the daughter of the priest of one of the gods I worship over here. And furthermore, we don't really care for your name, so we're going to give you a, a good Egyptian name. So what, what was he trying to do? He was trying to make Joseph uh, more more compatible with the culture of Egypt. We're going to give you a name that like all the people here can pronounce. We're going to give you a daughter. We're going to give you a wife from a prominent priest that everybody knows. You're going to be second in command, and I need to situate you to where you look second in command, and, and you, you, look, you look Egyptian. And, and so he changed his outward appearance, literally shaving his beard, all these different things, gives him a new name, Gives him, gives him a wife. And so it's, a, it's an important note that Pharaoh changed his outward appearance, but he could not change Joseph's inward, inward identity. Our identity is an inward thing, and, and when it's secure and fortified in our lives, it cannot be changed. It doesn't matter if we get, if, if our outward appearance changes. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if we're getting older and we're losing hair. It doesn't matter if we're, it doesn't matter if we move to a different state. None of that matters. Your inward isn't a, is your your identity is an inward ability. So here's what I'm saying: Joseph was not swayed by the luxury, wealth, and power that Egypt offered. He wasn't swayed by that. And listen, many people will do whatever you want them to do if the price is right. Many people will compromise their standards and values if there's enough money involved, if there's enough power involved. There's enough recognition uh, involved, and, and Joseph was not willing to do that. His, his identity was not for sale. Now, let's ask, let's ask a question. This is, this, this, is good, this is good stuff right here. I'm excited about this. How do we know that Joseph didn't sell his identity? How do we know that he remained true to Yahweh? How do we know that he didn't uh, move his standards, his values, his morals? There's two, two main ways we know. First of all, we know that his children served God. Ephraim, Ephraim and Manasseh, they became included in the tribes of Israel, and, and we, we, we see that. Uh, 
that Ephraim and Manasseh, they served God and, and, and they, they went out with the, with the Israelites and they were uh, leaders, of, of uh, tribal leaders. And the second of all, this is really big, he, he, Joseph refused to be buried in Egypt. Look, look at this, in, in Genesis 50, this is the end of his life. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all of his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children also, the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God, is surely come, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up from, the land, from this land to the land he promised an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath, oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. And, when, and years later, when the Israelites, when, by Moses, were led out of Egypt and crossed the Red Sea and made their way to the Promised Land, they were carrying Joseph's bones. And so, what did Joseph say? I may be living in Egypt, but my heart is still in Israel. I may be serving Pharaoh in Pharaoh's palace, and he may have all these other gods, but I remain true. I remain true to Yahweh. I remain true uh, to the God of my fathers. And so I want you to think about this for a minute. Joseph lived 17 years in Israel, in the land of Israel. He was sold at, seven, he was sold at 17. He lived 93 years in Egypt. The 17 years in Israel so impacted his life. His upbringing so uh, brought his identification as a child of God, as a servant of, of Yahweh, uh, to the point to where the 93 years in Egypt couldn't change that. I, I want to say that because the world we live in today and the culture we live in today wants, wants, wants you to break the covenant you've made with God. It wants to, wants to get the, 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 the spiritual things out of you. It wants to inject in you pride and arrogance and all, all these things. And I, I want to say to you today, I want to say to you today, uh, just being as honest as I can, the biggest problem with Christians is that they have too much of the world in them. I mean, we have more people going to church in America today than any time in history. And we have, we have less influence on culture than ever. Why? Because people are entering church out of duty and devotion, but their heart is in the world. Their heart is in Egypt. Their priorities are in Egypt. And church is just something they do when it's convenient. It hasn't become their identity. God hasn't stolen their heart. They're not in love with him. Listen, being a Christian is about having a love relationship with Jesus that influences everything you do. We, it has to be passionate. We don't go to church because it's convenient. We go to church because we love God and we want to build the kingdom of God. We don't do it out of duty. We do it out of delight because we want to make a difference in life. And so the greatest problem with Christians today is is that they have split personalities. They have one identity when they come to church and one identity when they're out there in the world. And if the two ever meet, there's just confusion. There's just confusion. We have one identity 
It's in Christ. No matter if we're in church, if we're out there helping somebody, if we're at work, if, if we're driving down the road, your identity should still be in Christ. Don't run somebody off the road. Don't holler at them. Don't wave a gun at them. Please. If you do, that's why I don't have Family Life bumper stickers. People are pushing for me to have Family Life bumper stickers, but I've seen some of the ways some of you drive, and I'm just a little concerned. So. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm sure y'all are tremendous drivers. So how, how do we define our identity? If, if to be, so to, let's back up, to be successful in God's eyes. To be a success and not have regret, we have, to, we have to have our identity in Christ, and that has to be the controlling ingredient of our life. So there's three things you have to do, real quickly, look on your notes. Defining your identity, number one, you have to know who you belong to. You know, I was in college one time. I know my kids, when I tell a story about being in college, they're like, you can remember that far back? Yeah, I have great memory. I have great, it's photographic memory. Tracy would argue with the photographic memory. She says, I forget things I want to. But anyway, have a good memory. We're going to stay with that. And uh, I, so I was in class one day, and we were talking, and this guy, they were talking about uh, getting a job, got job one day, and this guy told me, he, he said in front of the class, actually the, the thought was, should you be allowed to drug test if you're, this is way, way back, should you be allowed to drug test, should a company be allowed to drug test if you work for them? And most people said, well, well, yeah, they're paying your salary, you're doing things for them, they need to make sure you're not incapacitated with illegal drugs. Anyway, so this one guy, he said, uh, I am the captain of my own ship. I don't answer to anybody. Well, now, let, let's wait just a minute here. So I was trying to help him out, but he was unhelpable. Is that a word? I think it, unhelpable, yeah. That's, that's, that's Hebrew for you're in trouble, okay? Um, but, but think about this. All of us, all of us, no one is the captain of our own ship. Everybody answers to somebody. I want you to think about that. And if you don't answer to anyone here on earth, one day you, you will answer to God. But think about it. Even if you own a business and you're over all the employees, you still answer to your clients. Just start doing a bad job producing a bad product and see how long, much longer you have a business, okay? But I want you to understand. I want you to understand something this morning. You belong to somebody. Everyone here, you belong to somebody. And so the choice is, do you, do you belong to God? Or have you sold out to the world, to Egypt? You belong to, you belong to one of those. Uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, he says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Well, here, here's the thing. What was the price that we were bought at? His son, Jesus. His son, Jesus. So, again... If you say that I am a Christian, I want you to understand, when you give your heart to God, you give up ownership and control of your life. You now belong to God. The only way you can be a Christian is if you accept what Jesus did for you. That God, for God to love the world, that he gave his one and only son. So if you are a Christian, the only reason you can be a Christian is because you have been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. So if we have been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus, if as the Bible says, we have been adopted into, our, into God's family, 
what that means is this, that you belong to him. And listen, that's a good thing. That is a relief. That is a relief because you don't have to do everything on your own. But if you, if you think about it, we all belong to someone or something. And, and I know it's hard for us to, we, we've, become, we've become so independent in the world today that we think that we need control. Life gets better when we give up our control to God and say, hey, how do you want me to proceed? What, what do you have? What do you have for me? But, but some of you, you have, you have a bad connotation in your mind, in your, mind, in your heart when, when you say, well, what, what do you mean I, I, I belong to God? Um, it just simply means that the only way you can come to Jesus is to surrender your life to him. And how we do that is we come to a place where we, we realize that, man, I'm not doing very good on my own. That's when we give our heart to Jesus, when we realize that we're an utter failure, right? You can have it. You can have it. But sometimes as he resurrects us and starts building us up, we want it back. We, we, we want it back. It's a, it's a, it's a one. Am I making you think this morning? I hope I'm making you think, okay? So, and again, if we surrender our life to Jesus, what does it mean I belong to him? It means that we consult him in all of our decisions. And our sole purpose is to please him. Now, see, Joseph was not worth, think about this for me. Joseph had little concern about pleasing Potiphar, the warden, and Pharaoh. He was only interested in pleasing God. He wanted to please the one in whom his identity was sealed. So we can, I mean, we can do that or we can wish, we can wish to please God or we can wish to please uh, the world. Uh, whoever you belong to creates your identity. So if you belong to Christ, he will help you create your identity. It's clearly identified in the Bible. If you belong to the world, if you belong to your job, if you belong to uh, pop culture, they will create your identity for you. So Joseph, he understood who he belonged to. And even though he experienced incredible success, power, prestige, um, wealth in his life, his world always revolved around his relationship with God. Hey, God, bro brothers, you got to do me a favor when you leave. Man, don't leave my bones in Egypt. Well, did it really matter if his bones were in Egypt? To him it did. He wanted nothing of himself left in Egypt because his identity was in being an Israelite, living in Israel. So you have to know who you belong to. And second thing, you have to know who you want to please. Who, you have to know who you want to please. Look what Jesus says in John chapter 5, 30. He says, by myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but he who sent me. Man, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you know, do you ever sometimes have a bad day? Man, sometimes I have a bad day. Sometimes I have a bad day. And apparently I'm not good at hiding it because I come home and Tracy's like, what's wrong with you? Nothing. Nothing. At the end of your day, you could have had a bad day at work, bad things happen, 
nothing good happened, if at the end of the day, you can get on your knees and say, today I please God. Today, something happened, and I still had a good attitude. Today, those people treated me bad, and I still treated them with respect. Today, when I lay my head on the bed, I please God. Nothing else really went that good about the day, but I please God. You know, that gives you the encouragement to wake up tomorrow. Tomorrow. To wake up tomorrow. You have to know who you want to please. Also, in John chapter 8, verse 29, it says, The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. Look at this. For I always do what he pleases. And so you have Jesus coming down here, taking on human form for the whole purpose of giving his life for us. And he's every day, he's like, man, my whole goal is to please him who sent me, his Father in heaven. And I'm just thinking, sometimes we go through the day and we think, i got to do this, i got to do this, i got to do this. No, as Christians, the number one thing God wants us to do is to please him, is to live for him, is to live for pleasing him. And so, you know, you can determine who you belong to by discovering who it is you really want to please. That makes sense. So we talk about who do you belong to, who do you want to please. You discover who you belong to by really, by really uh, discovering who it's your really your number one goal to please. Again, Joseph was not trying to please Potiphar, Pharaoh, or the Egyptian people. Uh, he didn't want to be a legend in Egypt. I'm sure that his grave had all kind of monuments and things because he had saved the country from famine. He didn't care anything about all that. He just wanted to, to please God and, and to have his ownership with God. And the third thing is this. So you have to know who you belong to. You have to know who, who you want to please. The third thing is, is that you have to know where you're going. When you know where you're going, doesn't it make the destination much easier? Yeah, when you know where you're going, it makes the destination uh, so much easier. And so... I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that now in vehicles they have these GPS things. You know? And uh, you know what it does? It's like, so my GPS thing in my truck, you know, fortunately, or I would do it, I can't load an address while I'm driving. I have to pull over and, I can be in drive, but I have to have my brake on, I have to be stopped. Okay? So, so think about this. Sometimes it's very important to pull your life over. Stop what you're doing. Put your life in park. And first decide, where do I want to go? Where do I want to go? Sometimes we find that where we actually think we need to go, that's not, not where God wants us to go. And an amazing thing is, is after you punch in your thing on your GPS, you know, the thing talks to you, and you're driving, and it says, in three miles, take a left, you know, this, that, and the other, uh, take a sharp bend here, all that. And what I want to propose to you today is when you know where you're going, you know who you belong to, you know who you want to please, when your identity is in Christ, when you're spending time with him, I'm, I'm very convinced. The Bible, all the time it says, and God said, and God spoke, and the Holy Spirit said. The problem with knowing where we need to go and which turn we need to make is simply because we are so busy and we have our life in overdrive, pull over, Get your GPS, figure out where you need to go, and then daily, just spend a few minutes consulting God, and he will give you specific, 
clear directions on what to do. Again, a lot of us, I'm guilty as well. A lot of us are doing a lot of things that we really shouldn't be doing. I mean, people are so busy today. I want to retire just by listening to some of you talk. Oh, my gosh, man. And I know two things. One is you're not doing a lot of things you should be doing because you're doing a lot of things you shouldn't be doing. But second of all, it's exhausting and it's not very fun. Slow down, figure out where you're going, get directions from God. Um, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5.14. It says this, For you know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead, instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For we will, for while we are in this tent, this body, we groan in our burden because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. And you know, what, what is the Apostle Paul, what he's saying there, he's telling the church in, in Corinth, he's telling this, listen, life has a lot of problems, these mortal bodies have a lot of problems, but the tent we live in is temporary, and we are all headed. Every Christian, we are headed to eternity with God. And so again, the thought is this. You don't necessarily live your life by all the temporary things in your life, but where you're going. Where are you going? That, see, that, that, that determines our identity, who we belong to, who we're trying to please, and where we are trying to go. If, we, if our goal if our destination is in heaven with God, then we should spend more of our time than we probably are on eternal things. You can't take any money with you. You can't take your house, cars, accomplishments, plaques. You can't take them with you. What is the only thing we can take with us? People. People. That's the only thing we can take with us. Make sure our families are saved. Make sure our neighbors are saved. That's why we have do missions to make sure people in India and in Guatemala and Honduras come to know Jesus. So temporarily our home is on earth, but eternally our dwelling place is with God in heaven and our, our identity cannot be built on what we accomplish here on earth, but has to be built on where we're going. Again, Joseph was adamant. He was adamant. I am not an Egyptian. I do not want to be buried in this land. My identity is found in my covenant with God. Take my bones with you back to the promised land. If I could have the worship team come up for a minute, I want to I want to close this morning. And my whole goal this morning, again, and every week, I want to get you to think. And again, by getting you to think, if you're here this morning, I do not want anyone here to feel bad about what you've done or where you're at. That's not, the purpose is always where are we out right now and what do I need to do to become successful in the eyes of God? And the number one thing we talked about today is that we have to change our identity. The world is trying to put an identity on us. And, and we have to, we have to uh, you know, disregard that. And we have to, our identity is found in Jesus Christ and what he wants to do into our lives. And so, as we're, as we're finishing up, it's so easy to forget who we belong to. I mean, think about this. 
when we, when we really understand, man, I, I belong to God, and if we think about that daily, it will change some of the things that we do. Will, will it not? Let me ask you this. If I came over to your house, would you hide some things? No, I want you to see the real deal, Terry. Some of you would, and it really wouldn't, I wouldn't care. Some of you would hide some things. But if we go through life thinking that, man, I have, I'm in covenant with God. He is with me every conversation I have, every text I write, every, whatever. He's with me all the time. We, it's easy to forget who we belong to, who we're trying to please, and where we're truly headed in, in, in life. So our, our identity, really, we have to get to the place where our identity is grounded in Jesus Christ to where our goals, our dreams, and our aspirations, they're, they're, they're found in Christ. When our identity is in Christ, it, what it does, it gives us an unshakable foundation. You know, why could, how could Joseph endure all these things and not be shaken? Because his identity was never in the things that were taken from him. His identity was, it was in Jesus Christ, and his identity was in serving God. And so, I mean, I thought, how could, how could Joseph be so secure? How, how could he endure such difficult circumstances? And because his identity was set, he, he was never searching for, oh, I'm in Egypt, I need to find a new identity. He was never in it. And so, again, I, I just wanted to encourage you today. Would you stand with me? And... I want you, if you would just bow your heads and just really think. Think for a moment. First of all, what is my identity and who do I belong to? Who do I want to please? Where am I going in life? And make sure that your answer can be verified by how you're living life. 